is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Oh, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our
for the fear. Now for the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Choose the fear of the Lord. Amen. We just want to welcome you all this morning. Let's uh, put it in the key of G. Let's sing that song, We're Together Again. It's uh, good to be back. I saw some of you Wednesday night, but it's good to be back here on Sunday morning with you all. So but let's just sing this and we'll change it. We'll speed it up just a little bit. We're together again, just praising the Lord. We're together again, in one something good is going to happen. Something good is in store. We're together again, just praising the Lord. We're together again, just praising the Lord. We're together again, in one accord. Something good is going. Something good is in store We're together again Just praising the Lord We're together again Just praising the Lord We're together again In one accord Something good Something good is in store, we're together again, just praising the Lord. Well, I'm in this church, this glorious church, I did not join, though I was born, I had a new birth, some glorious day, gonna Join, no, I was born, I had a new birth. Some glorious day, gonna sell away. It's by His grace, not by my works. I'm in this church. I'm in this church, this glorious church. I did not join, no, I was born, I had a new birth. Some glorious day. By His grace, not by my works, I'm in this church. Amen. Let's try. We'll keep it in the key of G. Do we know? Actually, let's put it in the key of F. Um, do we know that song, I'm Getting Ready to Leave This World? We do. I might need your help. <laughs> Oh, now I'm getting ready to leave this world And I'm getting ready for the gates of world I'm keeping my record right I'm watching 
Yeah. 
Coffee and family who are not with us, they're away today. So we just want to remember them as well as uh, Brother Mark and Sister Jackie Sylvester. They are not with us today. 
And uh, we just want to remember uh, the Pascals who uh, were on their way, but unfortunately had to turn around due to being called back into work. So we just want to remember them. Uh, we also just want to uh, remember Brother Matt Cross, who is at home sick. And uh, as well, Lucas and Haley are at home. Luke is sick. So we just want to remember them. And uh, we just want to remember the males who are traveling today, and uh, as well as the Irishes who are not with us. So we just want to remember them. And uh, we just want to remember uh, Sister Karen and Brother David who are currently away uh, with their, some of their family. So we just want to remember them. And as well as the Whitlocks who are just unable to be with us due to work. So we just want to remember them in prayer as well. And I know we all have unspoken prayer requests. Uh, just by the lifting of your hand, the Lord knows those needs, and he knows exactly what he needs to do for them. So if you would just stand, and if I could have uh, Brother Ben come up and uh, pray over these prayer requests for us. Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we just count it a real honor and a privilege, Lord, to be able to gather here again this morning, Lord, and to be able to worship with our brothers and sisters, Father, and to be able to get together and just to hear the word. And Lord, we uh, we truly are a needy people, Father, this morning. We all have needs, Father, in our hearts, Father, Lord, they may be spiritual, they may be physical, emotional maybe even financial, Father, but Lord, we know you are the great emancipator, Father, that comes this morning, Lord, and can meet each and every one of those needs. And Lord, we just ask that you'll come and touch us, Father. Lord, we ask that you'll have a special place, Father, with these prayer requests that were brought up by our brother Mitch, Lord. Lord, we ask that you'll be with the rest of our time of worship this morning, Father. And Lord, as the word comes forth, Lord, let us just pull. Lord, we need to do our part. It's not just the minister that's coming, Father, but we need to do our part to pull. And Lord, we just ask that you'll touch our hearts, Lord, this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. If you would pull up the song, um, Oh, How I Love Him, same key. Just as I read this quick announcement here, uh, I was told that I better not forget. So <laughs> uh, there will be a children's choir practice uh, for those 13 and under at 4 p.m. today. Okay, at 4 p.m. today. So uh, kids, don't forget that, and parents, don't forget as well. Let's just sing a song. I don't have any specials this morning, so we'll just sing a few songs here before Brother Barry comes this morning. Down from His glory Ever-living story My God and Savior came And Jesus was Oh. 
just sing it as you stand there. this morning. Let's sing that song, I Have a Maker. Same key. I have a
each tear that falls And He hears me when I call I'd like to ask you to pray with me uh, before our musicians step down and also uh, this morning just to uh, especially remember Sister Sherry Holly. And uh, she's still in the hospital. She's going through uh, an, quite a, an amount of testing. And uh, they're treating her for various conditions. And we uh, want to hold her up in prayer this morning. Sister Sherry doesn't always get to come, uh, but uh, she's very much a part of our assembly. And uh, certainly do miss her. And she's, uh, to me, she's a great woman of the faith and uh, has believed this message for a long, long time. Let's uh, join our hearts together this morning and uh, whatever need you have uh, this morning, as well as our musicians play uh, this morning. And uh, as we bow our heads, just uh, think about if you, if you could have a minute with him, if you could just have a moment with him, what requests would you give him? And then believe that he hears it and he has an answer for the questions that you have in your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence today, Lord, we are reminded of our littleness, but Lord, we're also reminded of your greatness. And your word declares, Lord, that you're the God of all creation. And Lord, each one of us, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, the very best thing we can do, Lord, is bind all of these requests, all these folks that are not here today, Lord, and the various needs that are represented among us, and bring them to you, Lord, with confidence, believing that you always have an answer and you always know what's best. And Lord, we especially pray for Sister Sherry today, Lord, and ask, oh God, that in that hospital room today that your presence would just come and overwhelm that place, Lord, and may your glory be felt there, Lord. May you guide and direct the hands of the doctors and nurses. And Lord, we commit her to you and pray, oh God, that you would restore her health and Lord, bring her back to us again. We know her desire, Lord, would be to be here today. And so, Father, we pray for her healing. We curse those afflictions that uh, that have plagued her, Lord. And we pray now that your grace would be extended to her. Lord, there are many people that are here today that have requests and petitions and needs on their heart. And Lord, we ask you, oh God, just to be mindful of each one. Because, Lord, we are confident you always have Lord, a solution. And your ways are not our ways, Lord. They're not like our ways. They're, they're higher. They're more far-reaching. And you're always, you're always thinking about, Lord, where we're headed and what we're becoming. And so, Lord, the very, the very uh, action of your bride, Lord, the very uh, desire that we have, and the, very, uh, ener- the, the energy that we have, Lord, we put into looking to you and waiting on you, Lord, and just entrusting our cares to you in faith. And so, Lord Jesus, just have your way, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Sing it now. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love Protected. 
beside ever. Sing that again now in his arms. I feel protected. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, never did. In his arms, I Praise the Lord. While you're standing this morning, let's take your Bible, if you will, and uh, we'll let the musicians take their places this morning. We appreciate them. And uh, I'd like to read in the book of Joshua. <clears throat> book of Joshua, chapter 5. We welcome all of you here today. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to have the bent. Benton's here. Good to have Sister Sandy here with us. God bless you, Sister Sandy. Good to see you. And uh, good to have Sister Doucette uh, with us today. And uh, the male children and the female child as well. And uh, for all of you today, may God bless you. And certainly an honor to be able to share this day with you. Joshua chapter 5. We'd like to read the first verse. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more, because of the children of Israel. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. couple of just very quick things here, and then we'll uh, turn back to the, uh, our lesson this morning. I wanted to take a, a minute with all of our young people who are 13 and up after service today, and we'll do it right here in the assembly. I just want to have a very quick word with you. No one's in trouble. Uh, just want to have a, uh, just a, two minutes with you. And if the parents would like to stay, you're certainly welcome to stay after we dismissed this morning. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to say this. Uh, this is something that's a little bit overdue. Tyler, it's good to have you here today. And we never have officially welcomed you to the assembly. Uh, you've been here. And we appreciate that. Uh, what's that? Five months, Five months now. So it's about time. And uh, Tyler Coppola? Coppola. Uh, we appreciate you being here. And uh, glad to have you and, and welcome you as a part of the assembly. And uh, may God bless you and great to see you uh, moving along spiritually and in every way, and we're just uh, honored to have you with us, to sojourn with us in this part of the journey. So may God bless you. Let me do a couple of birthdays here. Uh, Joe Pascal III, uh, his birthday was yesterday, and uh, we wish uh, Joseph Jr., uh, the 
blessings on his birthday. April 6th is Sister Becky's birthday, as always. That's also Brother Branham's birthday. And it's also the drums anniversary. Sister Frida, how many years? 42 years. God bless you. We, uh, we miss Brother Joe this morning, but uh, we sure appreciate Brother Joe and Sister Frieda for all they do and all they are. And uh, may God bless them on their anniversary. It's Wednesday night. April 7th is Sister Anna Jackson's birthday, right? Sister Anna Jackson's birthday. God bless you. And Sister Sarah Buchanan's birthday. God bless you. Good to have you both here today. And then April 8th is Sister Rachel's birthday, right? Right. Can't get away from it at all. I just had these pictures come to me. They were from, uh, from Zambia. And these are people, and they asked me, would I pass this along to you? And many of these people do that. Uh, they, they just appreciated these materials so much. And uh, Brother Davy Mwanza, who normally travels around the country of Zambia on the back roads, has traveled uh, his vehicle into the grave. And uh, his, his uh, vehicle has really taken a beating. And so uh, he's not been able to travel out so much. Plus, they're also doing repairs on his church. And so he's not been traveling out as much. But this pastor heard that there was spiritual food in due season and made the journey himself uh, to come all the way to Brother Davy, uh, which is good. And uh, when he came, he received uh, the books uh, from Brother Davy and uh, in their language and then brought them back and took these pictures and sent this morning. And he wanted to say thank you on behalf of the assembly there. And uh, his name is Brother Godfrey, and they live in Nadola, uh, which is a little place in the eastern side of Zambia. And all of them say, thank you very much, Pastor Barry. That's what they refer to me over there. And when they, uh, I, I need to say this to you because uh, and not only for you but for the people listening, when they say thank you very much, Pastor Barry, a lot of times it's only because I'm the guy out front. I realize that there's a whole lot of uh, givers and people who support this work behind me, and I'm, I'm kind of the guy who sends the email or puts the, uh, you know, the uh, writes to check or you know gets this stuff. Uh, my face is there in front of them, but I I'm not saying this, these things, and I'm not. And announcing these things or projecting these things to project myself. You know that, right? That's, that's, not, my, that's not my vision. That's what, not what we're about doing here. So um, they wanted to thank uh, all of us from the depth of our hearts. They said he took books in Bemba, which were a prophet visit South Africa, man sent from God, adoption, 70 weeks of Daniel. They also had the seals in the church age books. And he said, God bless the ministry and all those who give that these messages might be uh, available to every believer. We are listening from the shout. That's what they said. And so we appreciate that very much. They, uh, they have really benefited from Brother Davies' translation work. He's a very uh, zealous translator. And now we are beginning the process of doing single sermons for them. And so they're very excited about having all of that. Um, the other thing I'll say to you is that uh, Brother Precious in Malawi has taken his team on a big truck. They have a big uh, uh, transport truck, and they're, they're going through Mozambique. And it's just absolutely incredible to see the, the, uh, the excitement that's, that's happening in Mozambique. And so I'll bring you that report. He's still compiling it, and they've been traveling quite uh, regularly. They, they generally will go on Sunday evening and start the journey and come back Saturday 
They were there all week distributing things uh, to the believers over there. And they're very excited and, and uh, never have had anything like this happen to them. So they're all, uh, they're all very delighted to be able to get the materials in their language. And uh, Brother uh, Paulo da Silva, who has visited here, and some of you know Brother Paulo, uh, he's uh, the translator over in Porto, Portugal, and has done many, many sermons and countless hours in front of his computer. And he said the other day when I showed him some of the pictures of what's going on in Mozambique, he said, it just brings tears to my eyes knowing that all of these hours spent in front of a computer screen, he said, are now uh, paying off for the believers over there. And he was just really touched by these pictures because now all of that work is getting out into the hands of believers and they're just uh, so thankful and so excited. But uh, let me tell you, these translators very often are very unsung heroes. They have great dedication and they believe with a real passion about getting the message into their language, like Brother Anwar doing the work over in Pakistan I showed you on uh, Wednesday. But, um, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, to me, they're, they're, they're real heroes, those translators, because of the work that they do. Make sure you go to our website because there's lots of new information that's going there. I can't get it out to everybody uh, all, all the time, but our website, we're trying to uh, focus attention there so that you have all of the pictures and all the stories and everything that, uh, that goes on. So we appreciate that very much. We miss Lucas and Haley today and uh, not feeling well. Ben, good to have you back. Been a, a little while, and good to have you back with us uh, today as well. All right, you ready to have church? I'm going to apologize once for my voice here, and uh, just uh, just uh, I feel like I'm talking through a tunnel, and uh, forgive me for that. Just bear with me. Don't listen to me. Listen to what's uh, being said here uh, today. It's more important. Over the last couple of weeks, I have had this um, this uh, name Gilgal uh, just rolling over in my heart, and just. Um, it was just there, and I began to research and began to look, and uh, I never really understood the significance of, of Gilgal and what it meant and what, uh, how important it actually was in the, in the Bible and all the events that took place there. And uh, today I want to introduce you to this idea of uh, what happened at Gilgal and how, the, uh, as the screen says, the journey begins there. And it is, uh, in a sense, a place now that's not, we don't think, of much significance. But God did some really important things there that are worth noting. And when we look at Joshua chapter 5, it outlines some of the, um, some of the important things that are there. Now, we know that uh, Josh, the book of Joshua is a book of placing, as Brother Branham taught us, like the book of Ephesians is. And he said that Ephesians parallels Joshua. And so you want to keep in mind the spiritual applications of the things that we read about today uh, in Gilgal and how that they relate to us, because they're very, very timely, they're very appropriate. And to give you the, the, the visual, here's Gilgal in the lower part of the screen here. This is the River Jordan, obviously, coming down here, and the Sea of Galilee up in this end here. And these are all mountainous areas here in Jordan and in uh, uh in uh, Syria, and in, in this whole region here is the, uh, the watershed for the Jordan River. And as they came down and they had traveled, the children of Israel had traveled for 40 years in the wilderness, God said, all right, time to stop the journey, 40 years are up, 
Time to go northward, and they, they go up to the place in Jordan and cross over uh, the River Jordan and into Gilgal. Well, into Gilgal, uh, God establishes a couple of things here that are really important. And, and what I, what I uh, glean from uh, my initial study of this place is God had said, all right, all of these years have transpired now, and I've got you where I want you to be. I've got you in your first your feet are first now planted into the promised land. Let me tell you how we're going to go in. And that's what's significant. God decided here how the children children of Israel were going to go into the promised land and what kinds of things he prioritized when they made that entrance into the promised land. Now, there are lots of types and and, uh, shadows here and types and uh, illustrations about crossing over uh, the Jordan River. We know that, uh, for instance, Brother Branham taught us that the Jordan River is a type of death to self. How many know that? The Jordan River is a type of death. And so, uh, therefore, when a person comes to Christ, they go through their Jordan. They go through their time of death, burial, and resurrection, and they're baptized uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they come over into the promised land or the new land where everything becomes new. And that's a, a personal type for us. We also know too that uh, one day we'll cross, we'll come, we'll as a bride, we'll come down to the River Jordan, and we will uh, be in, we'll be faced by death. But I believe God's going to take us through over on the other side without death. How many believe that? Which is a type of how the children of Israel got over, right? God parted the waters and they walked over on dry ground. That's mentioned several times, and God wanted them to, uh, God wanted everybody to know that when Israel crossed this river, they didn't wade through it, and they didn't bridge over it, but they walked through on dry, dry land. So in other words, the supernatural accompanied their, uh, their, their uh, journey across the river. Okay, it was a supernatural event. Everybody with me so far? Just talking about some of the types and shadows that are associated here. We also know too that, uh, Brother Branham said that uh, the, the promised land, when, they, when Joshua crossed over into the promised land, he said they still fought battles over there. So there's a, there's a, uh, a type also for us to understand in that uh, the, uh, the bride of Christ, in a sense, we've crossed out of denominationalism, we've crossed out from the world, and we've come into the promised land, but now we are still possessing that land. How many, how many understand when I say that? We're, we're making footprints in the promised land. And the promised land uh, to Israel is the same as the word is, the promised word is to us, right? Everybody understand, the, I've mentioned this parallel many times. That Israel was only blessed when they were in the country and they had their feet on the, on the soil. Just like God said to Abraham, this is your land, I've given it to you. Look south and north and uh, east and west, this is your land, I give it to you. So his footprints on that land meant possession and in a very, uh, very simple type, this is our promised land. It's not a physical place, right? This church is not your promised land. North Carolina is not your promised land. Virginia is. And so, it's not a physical place, right? It's not a, it, it's like for the Mormons, uh, you know, the Mormon tabernacle is, in a sense, it's kind of their mecca. And people love to have physical places to tie themselves to. Uh, the Vatican is a, like a, a mecca. It's a center for the Catholic people. It's just like, uh, 
you know, it, the, the Muslims have a Mecca and, and so on. For us, it's not a physical place. You don't have to be in Jeffersonville in order to be a part of the bride. You don't have to build your house there. You can, you can be anywhere in the earth and be in the promised land. And the promised land is the land of the revealed word of the hour, right? So there's a number of different types and shadows here, and I don't want to uh, dwell too long on that aspect of it, but uh, I just need to, uh, I just wanted to give you a little uh, uh, introduction, I guess we'd say. Let's go back in the Bible to Joshua chapter 4. Now, follow me in your Bible here today, and we're going to just uh, introduce things in chapter 5 by looking at chapter 4 very briefly, and then we'll concentrate on chapter 5. This is the place where uh, Joshua is told by God to bring the children of Israel over. The river is at its highest point of the year in April, and uh, the river has over flooded its banks here, but I'm going to bring you over, and I'm going to bring you over in a specific way. And this specific way is going to look like this. These priests are going to take the ark and they're going to carry it on their shoulders and they're going to walk out into the midst of the river. As soon as they put their feet in the midst of the river, then the waters will stop. They'll heap up on both sides and you'll be able to go over on dry ground. And when you go over, when you go over the uh, water on the other side, go over the, the river on the other side, I'll tell you what we'll do over there. But this is the way that God wanted the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. And the way, very simply, I'll just say this to you, they entered word first. All right, that's the way they went. They went word first. It wasn't preachers first. It wasn't personality first. It was word first. It wasn't Brother Branham first. It was word first. Everybody say Amen. And God wanted the word to be the preeminent thing out there, and the water was the, uh, sorry, the word was the thing that the priest carried, and he went out and stood right there, and God responded to that, and the uh, the soles of the uh, priest's feet were lifted up on the dry land, and the waters returned back after they came out. Everybody passed through uh, clean onto the other side, and this is a drawing that I found uh, of the priest standing in the middle of the riverbank there, or the the riverbed. And so, uh, when they came across the, the, the river, Joshua told 12 men, he said, when you come through that river, he said, take a stone, one from each tribe, and I want to make a memorial on the other side of the bank. So that when your children ask you, and this is found in verse 6 there, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask your fathers in time to come, what mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and the stones will be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. I've traveled in lots of countries, and I've, I've uh, you know, uh, seen the city. Lots of times people will bring you around, show you the sites in a, in a town. And many times in the center of every city there are memorials there. And memorials are significant because, just like we have them in our nation's capital, if you're able, ever able to go and visit there, they have, uh, you know, the various war memorials, and they're moving, and they're unique in their own way. Uh, and uh, some of them are actually quite spectacular, as I've described before. But a memorial simply sends a message that something significant happened here. This is something that we want you to remember, not forget, but something important happened here. So we're going to put a marker here, and we're going to call it a memorial that uh, God did something great here. And when Joshua told them to take the 12 stones and put them on the riverbank there, so that in years to come, in generations to come, when your children pass by and they say, hey, what's the 12 stones for? 
and uh, they try to Google it and they don't get a good answer, you're going to tell them this, that something significant happened here. God did a great thing right here. And God wanted to say to all the children of Israel that this is not your destiny. The river is not your destiny. The wilderness was not your destiny. But God wanted to take the children in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham all the way across the river into the promised land. And he did it supernaturally by putting the word first in the river. And the people followed that word across. And, and now uh, God, wants, God wants us to remember that uh, God has a specific way to get his children across the river. And these stones are a memorial that God took every one of those tribes. He never lost any of them, but he took all the tribes across and everybody got clean across without losing one man. They were all brought to the other side. God did that. And that's what this memorial is about. It's not a war or a battle, but this is a supernatural act of God uh, that uh, God said, hey, I, I didn't leave you in the wilderness. That was not your place to live, but I brought you out of that and brought you into the promised land just like I promised Father Abraham many, many years ago. Can I have an amen from everybody? Now, you, you, as you sit there in your seat this morning, I need you to just kind of reflect on your own image this morning because in reality, you're nothing but a pile of stones yourself. You're just a pile of dirt yourself. But I'd have to say this, that as much as we might think ourselves as useless, you also are a memorial or a testament to God's saving power and the blood of Jesus Christ this morning because God is telling us, you know, when we look at ourselves, God's telling us, hey, this is not your destiny. This is not where, uh, this is not where you're going to remain. You're not going to be here forever, but uh, by, by my grace, I have brought you to where you are today, and now this same hands that smoked and drank and did all the things that you did now God did a great supernatural work right inside this pile of stones right here and you're just a living testimony or a living memorial of the grace of God and one day we're going to be gone and taken in the moment in the twinkling of an eye to another kingdom and we shall be there forever we are a memorial in ourselves right and so this story is told and is told in great detail all the way down through the end of chapter 4. God even uh, tells Joshua in his writing of the story to repeat it again in verse 21. He says, there will come a time when your children will ask the fathers, what mean these stones? And he says in verse 22, you shall tell the children, let your children know Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. And he says, do this so that everyone may fear the Lord. Now, again, God did not want us to be sitting there quaking in our boots or shaking. I had one boy, I've told you before, that whenever he got in trouble, which was oft, and was at the point of discipline, which was oft, he would, it was very hard to actually discipline him because he shook, he quivered. He just, he just went through this thing. Now, I don't know whether it was purposeful or not, but it was very hard to be, keep a straight face and be serious. I normally don't have any problem keeping a straight face. It's in my genes. But my, when he stood there and shook and quaked like that, uh, it was very hard for me to keep a straight face and, uh, and, and uh, react in a serious manner because that's the way he did. God does not want us to, uh, to shake in fear like that at his presence. But he wants us, hear me now, he wants us to respect him. Because God has standards. God has boundaries, right? How many would agree? God has, God has a word that he, he wants us to obey. And we're not talking about the world now. We're talking in-house. Is that all right? 
God wants us to obey his word. He's given us his word. The Ten Commandments were not the Ten Suggestions. They were Ten Commandments. And so God doesn't put his word out there to say, well, you know, let's see how you feel about it. As far as I I understand, God does never put his word out that way. If if God, uh, you know, uh, like Brother Branham told us that uh, holiness is, is an attribute of God, and God requires holiness from us, then that's not an option, right? It's, it's not optional. If God tells us that we are to act a certain way and dress a certain way, and conduct ourselves in the house of God a certain way, uh, you know, to be witnesses, uh, you know, to all of the things that God has told us to do, then, hey, those are, to me, those are commandments. Those are things that God wants us to pay attention to. Is that all right? And, and, and when we obey, I mean, when we, when we walk in obedience to God's word, uh, God sees that and God responds to that and God is a blesser. God loves to bless us, uh, even more than we want to be blessed. And so this is a, an important thing to God. We'll take your Bible. Let's go to chapter five. Now chapter five is a, is this portion now where they cross the river Jordan and they come to this place called Gilgal. This place, Gilgal, becomes important later on as well because it's where Samuel and Saul had a meeting uh, later on. And it's also the place where Elijah left Elisha and went up in the fiery chariot. So there's some significant things that took place in Gilgal. Let's look at its origins here or where it comes in to the picture of the program of God. So when they came across the Jordan now, this is the... I always, I always remark these kinds of things. What did God do first? What did God say first? What did God put as a first priority for the children of Israel? And uh, how did God uh, want the children of Israel to come in? Did he just kind of open the gate and everybody run in? Or did he, did he have a plan? Well, God's always got a plan, right? So let's look at the plan. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make the sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. They had been circumcised back uh, before they began the journey, when they were in Egypt. And he says, now we're going to do it again. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of foreskins. And this is the cause why. And this is why, where it gets important here for us. This is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt, they were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now, all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. Well, I'm, at, I'm reading this as well this week, and I'm asking the question, well, why? Why didn't Moses tell them, hey, this is what you need to do. This is a practice of ours. This is a custom of ours, and... This is the commandment that God gave Father Abraham. Why isn't Moses reminding them? We have nowhere in the first five books, or in the, in the books of the journey of the children of Israel, where Moses is reminding them, you need to do this. There isn't any place there. After Kadesh Barnea, there's no place at all where they're reminded to circumcise. I thought that was interesting. Verse 6, for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed. Because, because, they were all consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers. That he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. 
So this whole first generation that came out, they came out but never got any farther. They came out following the right thing. And they were following the right person. They were following Moses and they were following the right thing. They were in the right parade, in other words. But they never got to the destination. And God told them they they would not because this is what it says, they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. So again, let me reiterate what I just said a few minutes ago, that what God says, he likes to see us obey. That sounds very simple. Let me say it again, though, just to be sure we've got it. Whatever God says, he likes us to obey. Whatever God teaches, he likes us to acknowledge and obey. And their children, verse 7, whom they raised, whom he raised up in their stead, and Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised, they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass that they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their place in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. You have, there's a reproach in the camp. There is a cause here for uh, criticism. And today, he says, I'm going to roll this away. We're going to end this reproach. And he says, we're going, to, we're going to roll on, if you like, in our way of saying it. Therefore, he says in verse 9, Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal until this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal. And next, they kept the Passover. So the first thing they did was cross over supernaturally. They came because of the word, and the word made a way for them to cross over uh, onto the other side. When they got over on the other side, they began the fundamental practice of circumcision again. It was like it was stopped, and it got turned on. And now here they are. This is the first thing that's a requirement. And then the second thing right after that is the Passover. God says through Joshua here, he says, now we're going to celebrate the Passover in the 14th day of the month at the even in in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the same day. And then in verse 12, and the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So here's another thing, that the manna that they enjoyed in the wilderness now was over. They were not going to get their food anymore like that. Now they were going to eat differently. Is everybody with me? I need you to follow now what I'm saying. Then the last part of this chapter, here's Joshua, and he's crossed over the River Jordan. He's done the things that God has told him to do. God is obviously doing great things now, and God is changing the whole program. He's changing the whole picture here, because now they're, every morning for 40 years, they went out and gathered manna. Now they went out in the morning, and there was none there. So their diet had changed. Now they were all, all the males were circumcised. They could see that back in the, uh, in, in the prior writings, you know, the prior teachings, that this is how, this is what God required. And now they're all circumcised. And now they've all had the Passover. And so all of these things now are in place and it seems like God's fixing to do something. And then it says that Joshua uh, in the next verse, that Joshua's surveying the land. He's kind of looking at the land, and the first thing that he sees when he comes across the river, the very first thing that he sees here, 
if we can bring it back, is Jericho. Because within sight of Gilgal, as Joshua is spying out the land, within sight of this is the great city of Jericho. Jericho had this huge double wall and wide enough, Brother Branham says, that you could, uh, you could ride chariots around, uh, you know, the, uh, the actual base of the wall, and you could—I mean, it was—it was just an enormous structure. I've been there, stood there, and we've uh, seen some of the base of the wall that's there. But Joshua's looking at this now. He's—he knows that God is up to something. He knows that God is on the move here. But he's looking at this, and all of a sudden, then he meets this person. He lifts up his eyes, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Now, it's interesting that Joshua addresses him this way, but after all, they've had 40 years of fighting and survival in the wilderness, right? It's all they've known is fighting and fussing and, and uh, all of this. And so Joshua, he looks at him, and he appears out of, out of nowhere, seemingly, and he says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Is this another fight that we're going to have to take on? And he said, nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So now there's a bunch of different things here in this lesson that we learn about, about uh, Joshua and uh, the children of Israel. And it all happens kind of in this place in Gilgal. This is the crossing over point. This is the gathering point. And if you like, this is the strategic center for everything that's now going to happen because they're going to launch a number of uh, skirmishes from here. They're going to go and uh, destroy uh, Jericho. And they're going to lose the battle at Ai. And then they're going to take on some other smaller kings that are in the, uh, in the, in the, in the uh, pathway of the children of Israel. But they're doing all of this because God's told them. They're doing everything now because God has directed them. This is where I want you to cross over, and this is where I want you to be, and these are the battles that we're going to face here. But God says, before we do anything else, before there's any battles or before there's any fights at all, a couple of things that I want you to do. I want you to come back to some of the fundamental things that... I have given to your forefathers. And if God gives us a commandment, God gives us a word, he either fulfills that word or restores that word to us because it is God's word. I've said this to you before, that there are things in the Old Testament that ceased at Calvary, right? Like the offering of of animals, lambs and birds and sheep, and so forth. There there were certain things that came as far as Calvary and stopped. And then there were things that came up to Calvary, and they were changed as we went forward. Right? Remember like the year of Jubilee. Remember that? The year of Jubilee was once every certain time period, every 50 years, there was a blowing of the trumpet, and and, uh, when the shofar sounded, then all the people who were held captive because they were bound by uh, by debt and you know bankruptcy and so forth, they were all able to go back to their homeland, back to their families again. Right? They were set free when they heard the sound of the priest's horns. Everybody, everybody, remember? And, and so they were able to go free. But when Jesus comes along, He said, "He whom the Son sets free is free indeed." So it's still, hey, what if you're if you're born again and you've been forgiven of your sins? It is a jubilee because you've been set free. 
But you know what? You don't have to wait for seven years. You don't have to wait for 50 years. You can experience that freedom from sin today. And when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. When you hear the gospel trumpet sound, glory to God, you can be set free and you can go on your way. So it's still a jubilee, but we don't have to wait every 50 years for it. Okay? So some things stopped at Calvary. Some things went through Calvary, but they were different. And some things came right through Calvary and were not changed at all. And one of them was the whole idea that never got changed was worship. In the Old Testament, they worshiped God on the tablet and on the cymbals and on the harp and on the instruments and, and the, the instruments of song. And, uh, you know, they, they were to raise their hands and praise God all times, right? David said at all times, everywhere, no matter where you are, uh, we should praise the Lord, right? And Paul says that we should have the voice of praise continually in our midst as well. That we worship God, no matter where you are, no matter whether things are going well, the things are not. Things, everybody's happy or people are not happy. Whether people love you or whether people don't love you. And whether, uh, you know, you got a job or whether you don't have a job. Whether you're laying in a hospital bed, whether you're taking dialysis, or whether you're uh, unemployed, or whether you're employed. It really doesn't matter. Our job is to praise God because God delights in the praises of his people. And the difference between the Old Testament worship and the New Testament principle of worship really doesn't exist. There is no difference. God wanted these people to praise Him, and God still wants these people to praise Him. And I believe we'll praise Him all throughout eternity. And that's the way it'll be. So some things never got changed at all by Calvary. Some things did get changed uh, coming through Calvary, like Jubilee. And some things did not even change, or they didn't even make it through Calvary at all. But here's what Brother Branham says. In 1962, he says, and you go through, you go through, you go through a testing time. God's not afraid to test his product. God's not afraid to test his children. He knows what's in you, so he's not afraid to test you. Just like he was not afraid to take Abraham up to the mountain and say, slay Isaac, your son. God was not afraid to test Abraham. He's really trying to bring something out all the time. God's always in the, uh, he, God's always interested in the growth of your character. He's always interested in your, uh, character development. God's always interested in that. And, uh, he says the church goes through a testing time. You go through a testing time. Each individual goes through a testing time before it can possess the gate of the enemy. So before we really have victory, and we, before we really have victory after victory like, uh, say, Samson did, God is not afraid to put us through tests. And Abraham went through it. Christ went through it. After Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit there at the River Jordan, he went through a testing time up in the mountain with Satan there. And after Abraham was called out, put, his, put into his land uh, where he was to be a pilgrim and give circumcision, and God met him after time. And yet he had to go through that time of testing. And every seed of Abraham does the same thing. Well, that would be true for us too, right? But it will also be true for the people in in Joshua chapter 5. God put them through a testing time and the children in the wilderness. Abraham and his seed, everyone goes through this uh, time of testing. Everybody okay with that? it's it's not always an easy thing. There are things that you face and, uh, you know, that are sometimes difficult, difficult personally. And, uh, you know, you think, well, I've seen it all, done it all, been there and done that, but God still knows how to test all the parts of your life uh, because he wants to bring out that kind of character in you and, and uh, kind of faith in you. God's always interested in that. So I want to just for a moment just focus on this whole idea of why they didn't circumcise in the wilderness uh, for a few moments here. 
And God said, today I've rolled away, in verse 9, this reproach from off of Egypt, and wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal. And uh, it's a real interesting uh, study. Give me just a couple of minutes here, and I want you to use your Bible with me as we look at this. Now, in the church choosing law for grace, Brother Branham says, now what did they do, those borderline believers? He said, it is, for it is impossible that those that were once enlightened, been made to be partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted of the good word to come, receive the knowledge of the truth, walk up and look into the land. And then they say, well, we just can't do it. They go back. He said, that's exactly what those borderland believers did in that they stopped for a minute. This is the scene of, of uh, Kadesh Barnea when the 12 spies go over across the border. And they come back with the grapes. They come back with the evidence that it is truly a great land. And uh, they have a mixed report. Well, they have two reports, right? There's a group of 10 who have a report saying that we're not able to take the land. There, there's just no way. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And there ain't no way that we're going to be able to take that land. It's too great. The armies are too big. Uh, it, it is kind of like Ukraine at the early days of the war against Russia. They thought, well, there ain't no way that we're going to survive. There's absolutely no way that we're going to be able to deal with such large people over there. There was a lot of them, and they were physically large. And they had two things going against them. And Joshua and Caleb came back, and they still the people, and their report was different. They said, hey, we're more than able. And you know why that we're more than able? Let me paraphrase. We're more than able because this is not our program. This is not Moses' program. This is not us versus them. This is the vision of God being fulfilled. And if God be for us, who can be against us? We really don't have a thing to worry about, so we're more than able to take them. Even if there was half of us and there was double the amount of them, it really doesn't matter because the Lord is the one that's going to fight the battle for us and He's the one that's in control and God would never send us here to be defeated. He sent us here to fulfill a promise He made to Abraham. So just sit down, shut up, hang on. God's going to get us through. You don't need to worry about the physical circumstances that you're facing there. I realize this is very simple, but uh, this, is, this is really the, the type of contrast that they had back in that day. There's always contrast. There's, I mean, there's contrast today. There's contrast in our church, right? So some people say, well, you know, this is great. Other people say, well, this is terrible. And, uh, you know, you'll never ever get, I don't think you'll ever get on this earth, in these bodies, I don't think we'll ever get everybody to say, oh, wow, this is great. But nonetheless... Brother Branham teaches us, he said, borderline believers are the type of people, they're following the right person, they're in the right parade, they're moving in the right movement, they're going in the right direction, but they come to the edge of it, and then something happens that causes them to fall back. Now I will tell you that, uh, without going into it, until we go into it, that borderline believers have this thing called intellectual faith. They have a faith that logically... Makes It makes everything make sense until it doesn't make sense anymore. A logical faith or an intellectual faith is one that's able to look at the whole movement of God and the things of God that are happening. And they got a Bible and they got, they got all the same resources that believers had except Revelation. And, and they'll look at it and they'll be convinced that this is the right thing to do. And they'll go as far as the first Goliath or they'll go as far as the first set of giants that they run into. 
And then all of a sudden, when something doesn't make sense, then something happens that causes them to draw back. There are some people, hey, come on, there are some people who followed the message of the, of the hour until they came to the first believe the sign. Right? The website that was composed against the message. And, uh, you know, there was questions asked there. And people are, oh, you know, well, how about this? And how about that? And how about something else? But you know what? There's a whole lot of things in the, in the scripture and a whole lot of things in the supernatural realm that I don't understand at all. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. A whole lot of things that I haven't figured out yet. And I believe this. I believe this with all my heart. If God wanted us to have answers for everything, he would have given us answers for everything. If God wanted us to know everything about everything, he would have given us the know-how about everything. But Brother Branham said, there's some things that even prophets don't know, right? There's some things that, uh, you know, you're going to have to find out when you get over on the other side. And I don't have answers for everything. I mean, I don't have answers of how, uh, you know, uh, like when you think about the pillar of fire, right? You think about, uh, you know, how that, how that the pillar of fire operates and how... Uh, you know how that it could be seen on the road to Damascus by some. whole bunch of people there, but everybody doesn't see it, but some people see it. And then we don't see it again until 1953, or what was the year? 1950-something, uh, when it's photographed again in Texas. Then we don't see it again. But we know, somehow we know, that the pillar of fire is still around. All right? Figure that out. There's all kinds of things that if you stop for a minute, you have all kinds of questions about it. But you know what? Uh, I'm not in the message because I got all the answers. I'm not following the Lord Jesus Christ because I know everything that there is to know. I'm following him by faith. Well, let me ask you this question first of all. How many of you have ever actually seen God? You see, physically seen God. Yeah, you believe he's there, right? By faith we believe. There's some things by faith that we believe is there. And an intellectual faith doesn't really allow that to compute. But nonetheless, uh, there's something real about uh, the spirit of revelation that God gives us to acknowledge the presence of God and the reality of God. And, uh, uh, you know, by, by God's grace we follow on. Even if we don't have all the answers in time, God will show us everything that we have need, uh, need to know. Uh, and, and when we cross over, I believe all the answers will become apparent. So don't sweat. Don't sweat it. You know, it'll be all right. Uh, we'll get there. And what we should do is... I, my advice to everybody always has been this is that what you do know act on that be faithful in that and then watch god reveal a little bit more and then watch god reveal a little bit more but he's looking for faithfulness and obedience in what he does reveal so the borderline believers came to the edge of the promised land and they looked at they looked at the land and they looked at the circumstances and they said no there's just absolutely no way now we know that that was a bad day. But it was bad because, for God, it was bad for God because these people are supposed to be believers. Right? Everyone who came out under Moses were supposed to believe the message of the hour. They were the chosen ones. They were the chosen race. They were all circumcised back then. They were all people who celebrated the Passover. They were all people who painted... I mean, if you were in, in the wilderness, in, in the desert, they would have had to obey to paint the blood on the doorposts. Of the, otherwise, they would have died, right? So they, they were at least that. And they, all the people who came out, who were there and came to Kadesh Barnea, which was shortly after they left, they, they were all the people who walked through the Red Sea. I mean, how do you forget the Red Sea, right? After a couple of weeks or however long it was, how do you forget that? How do you forget how the death angel passed over? How do you forget that God 
plagued Egypt and destroyed it, brought it to its knees, and allowed these peasants and farmers to walk out singing, one of them, one of them. And that great day when you were in that parade and followed Moses out, and you know, you're, you're looking behind you and seeing the smoke of Egypt rise up in the air. How do you forget that? But they did. And they came to Kadesh Barnea and saw those giants there, and they said, oh, no, we're not able. God, in other words, God's, God's scratching his head. And he, he's saying, well, I was able to do that, but I'm not able to do this. Like I was able to part the Red Sea and I was able to destroy Egypt, the superpower of the day. I was able to, uh, you know, set them free. I was able to break the shackles off, off that entire nation and allow them to walk out free. But I can't do this. And you know what they became? They became a reproach. In the eyes of God, that's actually what they became. Now watch now. I, I need you to follow this quote. This is, a, this is an important quote. And, and that's exactly what them borderline believers did that day. That every one of them perished in the wilderness. They, every one. And when we think, this is underlined, folks. When we think that God's obligated to us because we're so-and-so, dot, dot, dot. When you get the idea that God's obligated to you, that God's going to bring you in just because you're sitting in this church. When you get the idea, I'm entitled to my place in glory because I've followed the message all these years. Or when you begin to think that I'm entitled to glory because on the curve, I'm not near as bad as anybody else. On the curve. I mean, you look at the people out there in the world and how they live like animals many times and, you know, the things they do and the things they do to one another. And, uh, you know, when you start to dig in and look at it, like now they say to, you know, over in uh, Ukraine that the Russian army is pulling back. And now that they're pulling back, they're, they're going into their old communities and neighborhoods and seeing the damage that was done, the rapes that occurred and the, and the physical murders and violence that occurred and all the other, now they're discovering how bad it really was. I'll guarantee you this, we in the believing community, because we've at least been told that we shouldn't have, uh, you know, TV and all the other things there and uh, all that kind of stuff, we're, and, and we're, we're not mixing so much with the people of the world. We don't know, I'll, I'll guarantee you, we don't know near really what takes place out in the world. We know some. Some of the people in the hospitals, they'll tell you, you know, they see the, uh, you know, the, the abuse victims come in. They see the, you know, the devastation that happens within families and people, what they do to them, uh, themselves and see those kinds of things. You know, we get glimpses every now and then. But think about God in his position who knows all and sees all and sees the atrocities that are committed in the world, the injustices that are committed in the world. And so we can sit here sometimes and say on the curve, Compared to that, we're really not that bad. So therefore, Brother Branham's making this statement. When we think God's obligated to us because we're so-and-so. You fill in the so-and-so. Because I've never cut my hair as a woman. Or because I've always, you know, i, I got perfect attendance in Sunday school. Or whatever you want to put in there. I'll tell you what, it's thin ice. For you to begin to think that a spirit of entitlement makes me think this way. That, you know what, God's obligated to me because I'm in the message. I'm in the message. I go to Happy Valley or Evening Light or HBT or something else. I, God's obligated. 
Let me tell you something about what God's obligated to. As far as I know, I mean, in my research, the only thing that God's obligated to is His Word. That's it. God's obligated to His Word. He's going he's gonna to stand by His Word. He's not going to stand by your good works or your good looks. God's not going to stand by any of that. Don't watch your organization, He says. You watch the way the Spirit's leading. And if the Spirit is leading you, it'll never lead you according to the Word. That's really quite a statement, and that's why that's underlined as well. Because if the Holy Spirit, capital S, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, it'll never lead you contrary to the Word. I had one brother one time years ago up in Ohio. He told me, he said, I, you know, I didn't feel led to go to church. And I thought, you know, he's a very spiritual brother. I mean, he had all kinds of answers for everything. And he said he didn't feel led to go to church. And I thought, wow, um, uh, I, I don't doubt that you might have felt something, but I just need you to understand That's not the Holy Spirit making you feel that way. Because that's contrary to his word, right? It'd be just like saying, I don't think I need to pay my tithes anymore. Or, you know, whatever else you want to put in there. If the Spirit leads you, it'll lead you according to the word of God. It'll lead you in harmony with this. I mean, hey, listen, one day we'll stop saying such simple things. And, uh, uh, you know, I... uh, and I don't, I don't apologize for it, but I'm just saying that uh, this really is a fundamental thing. But that's what Gilgal was about. It was a fundamental stop that God called in the camp. And if the Spirit of God is leading you, it's going to lead you according to the Word of God for sure. It'll never misbehave itself uncommonly as long as it stays in that Word. So as long as you stay in harmony with the Holy Spirit, your conduct your dress, your actions, all the things that you do will be a reflection of what the Holy Spirit has led you to do in accordance with his word. Are we okay? If we're okay with that, we'll we'll move on here. Because the children of Israel now, if you go back here, they came to the border and they said, well, we just can't do it. And that's exactly what borderline uh, believers did in that day. And every one of them perished in the wilderness. And they became a reproach. And this reproach... Uh, was rolled away at Gilgal, right? That's what we read in the definition there in verse 15, that the, that the reproach of the children of Israel was rolled away. So the reproach began by their unbelief, and now it was rolled away by their believing in, in uh, Joshua. And Jesus refers to this in John chapter 6, and he said, Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness. They were right there. They were sitting at the right table, eating the right thing, provided by the right one. It was all supernatural, but they died in the wilderness. They didn't go any further. Now, all all I want you to do is just to think about this. And if you don't mind, we look in Joshua chapter 5, and you can read in your Bible there, but here it is. And and this is the reason why Joshua did circumcise. All the, here it is now. And I want you to, I want you to connect with me a couple of scriptures here that'll help you make sense of this. Here's the reason why that this began here, and why it was not, why it was not taught in the years after Kadesh Barnea, which we read Brother Bram talking about, until now. And all the people that came out were males. And if we drop down for time's sake, verse 6, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed. Because. Why were they consumed? Why were there not more of them standing there that day, like Joshua and Caleb? Why were there more of them not standing there? Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would show them that land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that flows with milk and honey. So their disobedience cut them off 
from them enjoying the fulfillment of the promise that God gave the children of Israel. I say it again. Their disobedience cut them off from enjoying the fulfillment of the promise. It, it, was not, it was not because the journey was too far. It was not because the journey was too difficult. It was because of their disobedience. So things that God had said, and now they turned away from them. Now, <clears throat> circumcision was a token of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. Follow me, a couple of verses here. Genesis chapter 17. God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after thee. Every man child shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of the foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant. That's what it was. A circumcision was a token of the covenant. It was a sign that there's a covenant between me and this people. That's what God was saying. This symbol, this act here was a token of the covenant. It was an evidence of the covenant. Remember now, refresh your memory. A token is the sign of the price paid. If you've got a plane ticket, you have a token. It's a proof that your fare has been paid, right? That's what you have. So circumcision was a token of the covenant. It was not the covenant, but it was a token of the covenant, sign that God had required this, we have obeyed this, and we are a people who are in covenant with God. And you shall, uh, you shall do this, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. Now, one of the things that is true is that the uncircumcised could not participate in the Passover meal. In Exodus chapter 12, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all the males be circumcised. If you're going to keep the Passover, this is the requirement. And then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. He'll be like the rest of the people. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Let me say it again. If you're uncircumcised, you cannot eat the Passover. Are we all right? One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourn among you. So uh, let me, let me kind of put it in our, in our context here. We don't have two messages. Like one for the young and one for the old. <laughs> we don't, we don't have two versions of Malachi 4. The youthful one and the aged one. We don't have that. And you know what else we don't have? We don't have two Bibles. We only got one. So the thing that the message teaches us, teaches us all. And the thing that the Bible tells us, tells us all. And so therefore, uh, if you're young and you feel like, well, I don't have to listen to that, then what are you listening to? What other source do you have? Or, I mean... If the word is an absolute, how can there be another? Then it wouldn't be an absolute, wouldn't it? I mean, that negates the definition of an absolute. If you got one and I got one and they're different. That would be like having two Supreme Courts. Can't have that. The problem is one of interpretation, right? The problem is one of a attitude. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. You might think I'm an old crank because... I am. I mean, do you realize I'm going to blow out 65 candles this year in my birthday cake? 
Have you realized that? No, you have not. I have. I've been around this message a long time, and that's not to blow my own horn, but just to say this, that I found over my years the message hasn't changed a bit. What Brother Branham said hasn't changed a bit. What people have said, it means, has changed quite a bit. But the message hasn't changed a bit, and all my years of reading the Bible, it hasn't changed either. It kind of opened up and still says the same thing it always has said. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that my interpretation is always 100% and my, my uh, conduct or actions are always 100%. Not, I'm not, uh, that's, not, that's not in question here because that's an obvious no. My, I, I'm certainly not perfect. I, I'm not, uh, listen to me, I'm not trying to become the best version of me. Have you heard that phrase? I heard that phrase a couple of times. I'm trying to become the best version of me. <laughs> well, good luck. How's that going, by the way? I know about, I just say this. I, I've, I've lived through a lot of versions of me, and I've been excited about none of them. <laughs> I, I've lived through a lot of versions of me, you know, the thin one, the heavy one, the short hair, the styled hair, the worldly one, the holy one, you know, all the different versions and all the different states of life I've been in. And I'll tell you what, there isn't a one of them I'd like to bring into heaven and live, live in eternally. I'm not interested in the best version of me. I'm interested in what he makes me to become. I'm interested in what he wants to see in me, not what I think I can perfect about me. Goodness gracious. Because, you know, when you're young, you feel like you got the world by the tail, and you know everything, and nobody can tell you a thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I mean, that's like, like the guy at Delta I told you about when he saw that guy go down the, the gangway, and he said... Some people know everything. And, you know, I mean, there are, there are seasons where you feel like, I, I got this, I got this, I, I got this. And then there are things, uh, when you get older, you kind of are standing there saying, what was it I got? Because you just don't remember. And you, in, in your youth, you had all kinds of energy to pursue things that you felt were worth pursuing. And in the last days, you finally figured out what it was that you wanted to pursue, and you don't have the energy left to pursue it. But anyway, either way, all the versions that I've gone through and all the different uh, chapters in my life, there's not a one of them that I, I feel like, now that was perfected enough. I, I'd like to take that version of me and go into heaven. Now, God has a version of me that he wants to uh, keep in mind, and and if that was around, you know, when you were 21, 20, 22, and God took a picture of you back then, you know what I was doing when I was 21, 22? Smoking. Shame on you, Brother Harry. Shame on you. And I'm not even telling you the half of what else I did at age 21, 22. So what I'm telling you is that somehow or another, God saw a version of me in me somehow that was yet, unfulfilled and unexpressed but he saw it back there and he knew about it and he said I want to capture that and I'm going to bring him right into that one day in glory I'm going to bring him right into that but it will not be a worldly version of him it will be my predestinated thought of him that's what I'm going to bring him into that's what we should be striving for. Not, how can I improve myself? How can I make me better? How can I, uh, you know, uh, upgrade myself to this or that or something else? Hey, that's not what we should be putting our energy into. We should be simply saying, Lord, what do you require of me? And give me the strength, the revelation, and the courage to pursue it with all of my heart. And if it breaks me, let it break me. 
If it's contrary to what I feel and what I prefer, then Lord, let my preference fall to the ground. But let your will be done. I think that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for you to sit there and decide what version of you is good enough. Give me a break. So there's no two versions of the message. And what God is telling the children of Israel here is that, look, if you want to celebrate the Passover, in other words, if you want to have communion with me, if you want to have fellowship with me, let the people who are outside, let them come in and be like Israel. They've got to be circumcised. They gotta, there's one law here. And we're not going to water it down. We're not going to soft-soak it. We're not going to uh, change it at all. I, I have a way. God says, I have a way. One law should be to him that a homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourned among you. Same thing. That's the way we're going to do it. That's what God says. But one thing is true, that if you're going to take the Passover, you had to fulfill this requirement. You've got to have circumcision. So what God is simply, and I, I, I don't want to prolong this, but just to say this, that when, when the children of Israel are coming into the, into the land, when they're coming into the promised land, God says at Gilgal, I want to stop right here, and let's get everything right. Because your, child, your father's back there in the wilderness, listen to me, your father's back there in the wilderness disobeyed. And being disobedient, being rebellious, they were in a sense like people outside the covenant. And if they're outside the covenant, covenant then you know what? What does circumcision matter? What does Passover matter? What, what, does, what does paying tithes matter? If they're outside the covenant, they've made the word, listen, they've made the word of none effect. So God stops telling these people, all right, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to be circumcised, because we've got to have the Passover every 30 days, or we've got to have the Passover. God stops telling them that, because these are people who, in a sense, have put themselves outside the covenant. They're acting like people who are not in the covenant with God. Now, let me tell you, God did not stop showing them mercy. God didn't drop manna on this tent and then skip to and drop manna on this tent. God showed mercy to all of them, didn't he? When Moses hit the rock, water came out and they all drank water from the rock. When the quail flew over, they all had pheasant for supper. Isn't that right? And their children grew up and their children were blessed under that, uh, under that covenant. Now, God hadn't forgotten the covenant. Folks, listen, God hadn't forgotten the covenant. And Moses didn't forget the covenant. And God renewed the covenant when they got to Gilgal. God says, all right, let's kickstart it again. Let's have circumcision. Let's have pa- Am I making sense? You can be sitting in this church and you can disbelieve yourself right out of God's requirement for the word by your conduct. Come on, folks. Because you can't be saying, oh, I'm in the message. I was born in a message church, raised in a message church. And act like the world? Act like, you know, people in the world out there and say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good standing member of the bride of Christ and I'm, I'm this and I'm that. That's your confession. But your conduct says something different? Then you know what? Maybe you... Should I say this? Maybe you don't have what you think you have. Maybe, and I mean, listen to this. 
temptations happen to all of us, right? All of us stumble and fall. But you know what? You know what is, is common about God's people? Let me tell you what's common about God's uh, people, real Christians. They're willing to repent when they when realize, oh, you know what? I messed up. I did wrong. They're, they're willing to come and say, Hi, I'm sorry. Did I, uh, if I cause a reproach, I'm sorry. If I, if I did something wrong, can, can you forgive me? And not, not, not can you forgive me with conditions. But a real repentance is, can I ask for your forgiveness? And because I, I, I need that from. That's what that's what real. That's what's common to me. That's what's common among real Christians, is that if there's something that's wrong, they're willing to make it right. If there's something that's wrong, they're willing to admit it because they know they can't go ahead with God if there's things there that are in their in their life. What is called hidden sins, or you know, all the other uh, sins of omission, different different ways that it's described in the script in the scripture there. And you can, you can cut off, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can, you can act in a reproachful way, and you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Come on, you can grieve the Holy Spirit because the Bible says you can. Because Paul tells us grieve not the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4. And he would not put that in the New Testament if you couldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. You can. He says grieve not the Holy Spirit. So you can do things in your conduct, in your speech to one another, to even to your spouse or family members, or say things to, uh, you know, one another, say things to your pastor or your pastor's wife and say things. And uh, you can, you can, hey, listen, you might even have a feeling that you're right, but you can do things in a wrong way. And you know, come on, you seasoned veterans know you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And you just got to make that right somehow. You might get away for an hour or two or a day or two or a week or two, but you, at some point you've got to go back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I, I know I said something wrong. Can you forgive me here? Let's talk this out and let's make it right. That's what, to me, that's what real Christians do. They have a spirit of humility about them. We may not know everything. We may not know how to put all the pieces together, but, uh, you know, they're willing to do that. Hey, when the children of Israel came to Kadesh Barnea and they said, we can't do it, and Joshua and Caleb says, we can. We can do this. And they actually begin to go in and possess the land. These fathers never came to Moses and said, you know what, we were wrong. We, we messed up. We viewed it the wrong way. You know what happened to them? They all died. They all died in the wilderness. We read where Jesus said so. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like that. If, if, I, if I've done something wrong... Uh, well, let's make it right. I mean, that's, that's, I'm just telling you how I look at it. All right, you ready? Now, what, let's look at this word reproach just for a minute. In the message, Believe Thou This, Brother Branham says, Jeremiah, before he was even brought from his mother's womb, God said he knew him, sanctified him, ordained him a prophet to the nations before he ever came out. I believe that those things are ordained. Do you believe in God's ordination? God's predestination, right? This is election. This is, this is all of that. And I think where it is today, we more or less, we get worked up in excitement or a little enthusiasm. And sometimes it brings more reproach than it does good. There's nothing wrong with being excited or enthusiastic about the things of God. But um, Brother Bram says sometimes we can, we can get worked up because we're in an atmosphere maybe where there's all kinds of enthusiasm and excitement. And he says, but... We turn around and go out and do something that brings a reproach. He said, it does more harm than good. Don't you think so? 
All right, now, I love this little quote here he gives. I want you to pay attention to it. Tommy Osborne was there as a young minister in Oregon when Brother Branham was confronted by that guy who was going to beat him up. Remember in the congregation? Remember that story? And the guy had been a boxer, and he knew how to fight, and he had dislocated the jaws of a couple of ministers the day before because he didn't like ministers, and I'm glad he's in jail. And he, he fought viciously against them. And he shows up in Brother Bram's meeting. And back then in those days when they had the big meetings, they had often had policemen who were ushers. They served from the community in those meetings. And when this guy come down, he was already wanted because of his assaults. In the town. And when he come down the aisle shouting and cursing and spitting at Brother Branham, the policemen begin to move in on the side. Brother Branham tells a story and other people have told a story. These policemen begin to move in. Brother Branham says, stop. He said, this is a spiritual battle. So he has them to stand down. And the policemen just wait and they're watching there. Tommy Osborne was on the platform. You know the story. Brother Bram speaks to this man because I has, uh, you know, confronted the man of God today. He says, you shall follow my feet. And the man makes a lunge at Brother Bram and falls and rolls and lands. And they had to lift the man off Brother Bram's feet. So exactly as it came to pass. I mean, hey, no one was asleep that day in service. And Tommy Osborne sitting there as a young man in the congregation. And he's looking out. There's a young minister and he's looking out there. And he says to Brother Branham, what can I do? Now, when Tommy Osborne tells a story, he tells it like this. He said, I was sitting there watching that happen. And he said, I heard a thousand voices in my head saying, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And it was at that moment that he felt like, hey, this is, this is it. I'm on my way to doing you know, exploits like this. Now, when he says that to Brother Branham, and Brother Branham says, well, now Tommy's asking him the question, what can I do? Look at his answer. I said, now, Tommy, don't profess anything you can't back up because the devil's going to call your hand on it. Yes, he will. He'll do it right away. And if you can't back it up, you know what's coming. It'll be a reproach. So be sure you're right before you make that statement. Can I go back one screen? Or Brother Branham said, I believe these things were ordained. So it wasn't going to happen because Tommy Osborne hoped it would happen. It wasn't going to happen because Tommy Osborne wanted it to happen. It was going to happen because God ordained it. So that's why Brother Branham could say, the angel told me that nothing shall stand before your prayer, not even cancer. And Brother Branham goes out and faces all kinds of things in his ministry, including cancer, and nothing stands in his way. Because God ordained it, God backed it up. Are we okay? So in all of your learning and of all of your years of experience in the message, do you ever find where Brother Branham's comments and statements became a reproach? Because he was saying something that, God never did and God was not true? Have you ever found anything where Brother Bram said, God's going to do something, thus saith the Lord, and then God didn't do it? No. Because God ordained his ministry for this last day, right? Are you following me? God ordained it, and it comes to pass. But when we get out there and say, well, I, you know what, I'm in the message, I can do this and I can do something else, and then God doesn't do it, and you know what? That becomes a bit of a reproach. People will look at that and say, well, you know what? 
You're making all kinds of claims, but nothing's happening. Because you're saying one thing, but nothing's happening here. The Brother Branham refers to that as a reproach. He said, Tommy, if you go out there and project yourself out there in a ministry like mine, and you're not ordained to do it, he said, that's going to become a reproach. Rather than take that approach, watch. Here's Daniel back in his day, and he's praying in chapter 9. And he says, Now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and thou hast gotten thee renown, as it is this day. We sinned. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness. Here's Daniel, who has not committed the sins of his fathers, but he's asking forgiveness for those sins because we all are identified in the one body. He's got a humility about him. He's not trying to project himself into something that God hasn't ordained to do, but rather he's just going to God on behalf of what he knows was wrong among the people, and he says we. In other words, he owns it. He's not ashamed to own it. We have sinned. We as a people. My hands might not have actually been there. 70 years ago, before we were brought out of captivity, my hands might not have been there. My feet might not have been there. But you know what? I'm sorry that there's a reproach. I'm sorry that you had to send an invading army and and clean up that mess and send those people off to Babylon. Daniel never caused a problem back here 70 years ago, but he's realizing the blessing of God. The blessing of God doesn't rest with us fully Because we're not in Israel, and we're not in Israel because God took us out. And the reason he took us out is because we have rebelled against God. We never kept his, honored his Sabbaths and all the rest of it. So God had to actually take us out of the place of blessing. And Daniel is realizing this and saying, Ah, the reason we're not as blessed as we are, the reason that we're not blessed as we should is because we have sinned and we have done wickedly. I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem and thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for, our, for the iniquities of our fathers, in everything he's saying, their problem, they had a problem, they've got an issue, they've got, a, they've got this going on here. He doesn't say that at all. The, the verbs are all, and we're all attuned to verbs now, and, and so forth. We, our, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications to cause thy face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Daniel takes this attitude. What an attitude to have. When the blessing of God is not there, when the blessing of God somehow is lifted, when the blessing of God is not as, uh, as, as sharp, when the blessing of God is not as uh, t- you know, tangible as maybe it once was, maybe rather than say, well, you know what? Lord, forgive that person because old brother Bill over here, he's got a real attitude and he's got a problem and he's caused all this in the first place. And if we didn't have brother Bill, you know what? We'd be better off. Lord, have mercy on us. Get rid of brother Bill. Send fire from heaven and just consume brother Bill and give him four flat tires on the highway and may he never be here in time for church. I mean, if that's the attitude that we take, that you know what? I'm not going to own any of this. I'm going to project it all on brother Bill over here. You know what? You've missed the point. We've missed the point because you know what? We're in this together. We're all in this together. And sometimes we think, well, how come this doesn't happen? How come that doesn't happen? It's because we're not using the we and us like we should. 
And Lord, you had to do something as drastic as take us out of Israel and plunk us into a foreign land for 70 years. Daniel gets it right. He says, we have sinned. Rather than trying to project yourself into a ministry, and rather than trying to project your rightness and your greatness and all of that, Daniel says, my God, what have we done? Lord, have mercy on us. Am I making any sense at all? Because God saw in the children of Israel this spirit of murmuring, low, muttered grumblings. We have a dove that hangs around outside of our window. Um, Sister Becky will tell you. And me and doves, we have a, an issue. Me and cardinals have an issue. Um, but with doves, they have, <laughs> they have this, uh, it's a, a, a low purr almost. It, and I, I don't want to liken it to cats because that's another sermon altogether. But <laughs> doves have this purr, this, it's kind of non-distinct. It's a little bit hard to imitate. Because it's just a, it's indistinct what they say. And um, the Hebrew word actually for murmur likens the sounds of murmurers to sounds like doves. I know the bird is saying something, but I can't pick it out. I can't, or if I could find it, I'd shoot it. Should I not have said that? That's the way doves are. And the word murmur in the Old Testament in Exodus 16 was the whole congregation of children murmured. So Moses was, nobody had the guts to come to Moses and stand up in front of him and say, hey, Moses, this is the way. We don't understand. If something's happened, we don't understand. But he just, he could hear that there was this going on in, in the camp, in the wilderness. It wasn't the sound of, Humility and prayer and humbling themselves, like Daniel saying, We have sinned. It wasn't that. It was like, Oh, you're Moses, Aaron, manna. A little hard to make out. It was there, but a little hard to make out. And you know what? He knew these were not, this wasn't prophet appreciation day they were planning. He knew that. You say, Well, Brother Barry, that was Old Testament stuff. Well, here comes Paul right along and he says, now, let us not commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in the day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them didn't tempted and they were destroyed as serpents. Neither murmur. Paul says that that shouldn't be in the New Testament church as some of them also were murmured and they were destroyed as a destroyer. All I'm saying to you is this, is that at Gilgal, God, God rolled away. Listen, God in his mercy rolled away the reproach of the children of Israel. All these things that went on in the wilderness and all of these things that they were guilty of in the wilderness. And God, because of his mercy, because of his covenant, and because of his grace, he remembered the children of Israel. And when this generation rose up, he said, let's do it right. Somebody say amen. Amen. He said, let's do it right. And he rolled away the stone of reproach. He rolled away this this thing at Gilgal, and he said, you know what? We have a new generation. We have a clean slate. Let's start right here. First thing, let's, let's 
cross over the land, or cross over the river supernaturally. So we get over onto the promised land ground. Now that you're here, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want this to look like. Number one, everybody is circumcised because that qualifies them to have the Passover. Passover is a sign that God is at peace with his people and he's communing with them and all the other things that Passover represents. And then God takes them and begins to move them into the promised land. But he doesn't just say, here's the door open, here's the river dry, off you go. Grab the nicest piece of land you can find. He doesn't do that. He says, there's some things we need to make right. And I want to correct this. But in this whole process, I don't want you to forget that when you disobey, God sees that. God sees that. And God's not afraid to stop the parade. He's not afraid to stop everything and say, I want you to get it right. I'm going to help you, but I want you to get it right. But it's got to come from within. It's got to come from you. It's, you, you got my word. Isn't it true? You've got the message. All you young people, you got the message. You got it all. Everyone here in the church, we all have the message. We all have it accessible. It's all available. But God does not, God does not come down every morning and say, all right, Ethan, I want you to listen and, and do this with your phone. Listen. He doesn't do that. He puts it in your hand. And he says, now, you've got it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. You know that, right? So now he's got a choice to make. That's the grace of God. He's got a choice to make. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't search in your pockets and say, give me the check, give me the check, come on. I'm going to take my tithes. They're my tithes. He doesn't do that. He's got a choice as to whether he wants to pay his tithe. God doesn't force those things. Oh, he knows what's right. You know what's right to pay tithes, right? And that's just an example. The things that God has he's, he's required of us, he's made known of us, he's looking at us and saying, all right, now make your choice. Make good choices. To me, a believer is going to say, Lord, let, let, thy, let thy will be done. Show me your will. If I'm a woman, let me be in my place. and Let me, let me act as a real godly sister. Let me learn that. Lord, if I... If I'm out of my place, then Lord, show me that. And, but you know, the gracious thing is that here's what God did at Gilgal. He brought them all across the river and put them on the other side. And then he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to wipe the slate clean. We're going to roll away that stone of reproach. And I'm going to give you these commandments here. Passover, nothing new. Circumcision, nothing new. And God lays it all out before them there. And you know what we don't find in Joshua chapter 15? This is Joshua chapter 5. You know what we don't find? It's not there. The word is not there. You know what it is? It's murmur. They didn't say, circumcision, my goodness, of all the things that God would want to have. Somehow or another, something happened in the transition between one generation and another because when they get to the Joshua chapter 5, God says, hey, now we're going to require everybody to be circumcised. They're all there. Now we're going to do Passover. Everybody's there. They're right there. We don't find the word murmur at all. Under under Joshua's leadership, we don't find that at all because now we have a bunch of willing hearts. Now we have a bunch of of people that are ready to say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever we need to do. All right, am I speaking to any of those people here today? Because you don't have to be young to be a part of this new generation, right? You don't have to be... I'm not talking to young people here today. I'm just saying that I, I believe we've come to a place where God wants to line things up in a certain way for us to cross over into his kingdom. 
And it's not just we open the door and everybody race in. I believe that God wants to have us right in order as we go into the kingdom. And if something's got to be, got to be chopped off and taken away, hey, then God's going to work on that. If something's got to be, uh, you know, repented for, hey, we're going to work on that. But you know where we're going to do it? We're going to do it here, not there. We're going to do it here, not there. We're going to do it here. If there are changes in attitudes, we're going to have to change them here, not there. If we're going to have an agreement with God's words, it's going to have to start here, not there. Because you can't live in sin over here and blow the smoke of uh, your filthy life in the, in the face of God and then get over in the marriage supper and say, I'll be good. Don't try that. If you're going to be an obedient son or daughter, if you're going to display the token, display it here, and then uh, that'll help you over on the other side. But it's not, the Christian life doesn't begin, obedience doesn't begin over there. It begins right here. It begins today, right here. And God wants us to pay attention to his word right here, right now. Uh, here's the way he says it. Josh Jordan is a meaning of separation and death in the scripture. If, matter of fact, the musicians, if you just slip up here, uh, that'll, that'll give me breaks I need. He said, you've heard when I, you've heard me sing the song when I come down at a chilly Jordan and there was, there's uh, many different songs like that. And he said, Jordan represented death. And we come to another age now, the age, this, this age of dying out. And all your worldly pleasures, God has got to do something with you. Before he could give you the Holy Ghost, you got to die out. And remember, life can only come out of death. A seed can only die. That's the only thing a seed can really do, is die, rot. That's all seeds are really good for. God's placed them something inside the seed so that when they die and rot, something happens. But a seed can only die. And out of death comes life, and out of the death of Christ comes the resurrection life. And, and if we're born again, hey, if we're born again, you know what? The thing that needs to die is me. That I'm not interested in grading myself on the curve anymore. I'm not interested in trying to keep up with the Joneses or anybody else. Now, to live is Christ. To a seed, all things become new. Because the only thing a seed can do is die. So, all things become new. And God says at Gilgal, I'm going to roll away this reproach and... You know, like you think about a church, you think about, you know, in our families, and you think about it, we, we can get into all kinds of things, and we can develop all kinds of ideas and attitudes and everything else. And God in his mercy came to Gilgal, and he said, I'm going to roll it all away. And you know, those people who lived in rebellion, they died in rebellion, but I got a new generation that's rising up. And the thing about that generation is that I can say something to Joshua, and I can give you my word. And those people just, hey, Lord, amen. We just agree. We, we want to live in agreement with your word. We're not here to contest things. We're not here to criticize. We are just here to believe your word, whatever it is that you say. And you know what? I believe that that's the kind of people God's going to take over into the promised land. Wow. Just stand to our feet. Let's stop there. I want to be, I want to be doing this. I want to be dying out so that out of, out of that death can come an expression of life. Out of that. Out of that experience of laying down my own, my own attitude of, well, God owes me something because I've preached the message for all these years. That spirit of entitlement, that's a very strong thing today. It's a very strong thing. Don't, you should not underestimate that. But out of, out of all of that, if we, if we just sincerely lay that before God and say, Lord, out of those things, 
bring, bring something that you can harvest. Bring something that you can take in to the kingdom. I think that would be a great victory. Because sometimes we all need a Gilgal. We all need a place where, Lord, I've made mistakes. Roll, roll away my reproach, Lord. And the whole thing about this place of Gilgal is that God wanted to get it right. Here's a clean slate. Off you go into the promised land this way. Something, to, something certainly to think about. Maybe sing it this way. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God. And renew a right spirit within. It's 
joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Sing it again. Just make it your prayer this morning now from your heart. Father 
our Father's love. More of you. More of you. We've had it all. What we want, Lord, is more of you. Let's sing it this morning here together. More of you. Father, as we come to the end of our service, Lord, we are just reminded, Lord, of your great mercies that you extended to the people, Lord, at Gilgal. Lord, you had a whole new generation of people that came up, and they were characterized by simply walking in agreement with your word. Lord, we want to be that people. We want to be that group, Lord. We want to be identified with that group that whatever is said, Lord, Murmuring is not in our heart and complaining is not in our heart. But Lord, your will is our wish. Father, I pray that you would mold us to be that kind of a people that we would walk in. Not only in agreement, in agreement, Lord, but in joy, knowing that this is the thing that pleases you. So Father, we commit the people now into your hands, Lord. I pray that as a, as a people, that Lord, you'd forgive us of anything, Lord, that may in some way have hindered the moving of the Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us as a, a people, Lord, and may we, may we press on now because there's a, a great land that lays ahead of us, a great land of the revealed word that lays ahead for the people of God. And in that land are good things. In that land is forgiveness, and in that land is blessing, and in that land is rapturing faith, and in that land is everything we have need of. Lord, may we pursue it with all of our hearts. May we pursue it, Lord, with a real passion, The world may never understand, but, Lord, all good things lay in that land. 
My home is in that land. My home is in the revealed word of the hour. And Lord, in, in Christ, that's where I belong. So, Lord Jesus, we just pray now that you deal with every heart, deal with every soul, Lord. Because, Lord, we know that the changes that need to happen within us need to happen here, not there. And, Lord, we're just asking the Holy Spirit would have free course among us that, Lord, you might bring about that change and that growth, Lord, in all of us, I pray. Forgive me, Lord, for stating the obvious, but... Lord, sometimes the obvious escapes us. And we want to, Lord, be mindful of you. Gilgal reminds us of where all of this possession of the land, it began right there. But Lord, you wanted those people to enter a certain way. Father, have your way in our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things and for your glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But what I need is more of you. Let's sing it one more time. God bless you as you go this morning. I want more. I'd like to see our young people after we're done. Yes, more of you. I've had it all, but what I need is more. And of things I've had my Floods my soul. Something wonderful happened.
Blessed 